Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to Remap Sports and Sports Adjacent Podcast that sets out to disprove the notion that people with lives dedicated to pixels jumping across the screen can't also be unhealthily interested in what nerds condescendingly refer to as sports ball every Super Bowl. Rob, I start off every episode with a new question, and we no longer are going to be at the Bears back, because the Bears are never back, and so we're not going to introduce this a bit in the stop in the beginning of the podcast, because it's not a fun answer anymore. We've done all deviations of it, so instead we have from Logan. Hi, Beer Mappers. As a Canadian who loves hockey, I need to ask, has Chicago landed the generational talent of Connor Bedard, led to a renewed or new interest in the team for you? Or has the well been poisoned when it comes to supporting them? Fuck capitalism, free Palestine, grandpappy crow dad. The well's pretty poisoned. And it's pretty bad. Part of it, so... Do you want to explain it, is, it to people if they aren't aware, like, yeah, let's short... <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, hey, let's. it's a sports podcast. What content warnings are we going to need today? Uh, today, uh, as is frequently the case when discussing controversy, controversies around sports, we're talking about sexual assault. Uh, so the, Black, the Chicago Blackhawks had sort of a mini dynasty uh, for the preceding decade. Uh, they won three championships. They were in the hunt for several more. They had a... Uh, great roster, great coach, and, you know, seemed like a really likable team. Uh, and, you know, they, they were sort of a- aging out. Uh, they, you know, as like a lot of dynasties do, uh, they had signed a lot of like poisonous contracts that were eventually going to mean that in order to keep the core of the team together to win the championships, there was going to be a moment where you were paying a lot of declining players huge money and it was going to sink the team. Around in that period of decline, something emerged, um, which is that. There was a sexual assault case at a youth program, I want to say, in Michigan. And it turned out that the coach involved in that situation had done it before. He had, in fact, done it uh, months before the first Blackhawks Stanley Cup championship when he was on the team's coaching staff as uh, what they call the the uh, replay coach, the video replay coach, uh, someone who does a lot of like you know game analysis, uh, you know tape grinding for the for the team. He had assaulted a uh, <clears throat> a like um, 
farm team player, a, 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 like a, a, a low ranking member of the Blackhawks uh, playing staff, basically, uh, you know, a, a, d- a development player. And this was brought to light within the team that year. And it reached the highest levels of the organization as the playoffs were in full swing. And they did nothing. Uh, the Blackhawks basically covered it up. They didn't want to rock the boat. Uh, they they basically, like at the highest levels of this team, they decided it would be a distraction to ouster this guy and to turn the case over to the police. So they hushed the entire thing up. Uh, and he did leave the team later. So did the, so did the, uh, you know, development player who was uh, the victim in all this, uh, you know, he got completely, uh, mistreated zero justice. And, uh, but the, but the, the worst thing that can happen here beyond the assault itself is that by not bringing it forward, the abuser is given the opportunity to go and do it again somewhere, which is exactly what happened. Uh, with a, an even younger player, as I understand it, this emerges and it, you know, it's so foundational to the Blackhawks dynasty, uh, that, you know, this comes up right as they're beginning their run. It does taint the entire thing, but also the organization as it's, as it emerged kind of just, <laughs> there was a disastrous, uh, press conference where the owner of the team basically said, I'm sick of talking about it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm done answering questions on this topic. Well, it also uh, came as the team was tailing off of this era, right? Like they were beginning to yeah. suck shit. And like, so it was like all that anyone wanted to ask about was, hey, your team sucks shit. And also it seems like you committed a horrendous act during the height yeah. of this team in the last 15 years. So it created a bit of a, so, an atmosphere. Then... As that's happening, everyone's like, fuck this team. Uh, the team's learned, clearly has learned very little or nothing uh, in, in all of this. Um, they luck into drafting Connor Bedard, who is like the second coming of Gretzky. He's 18 uh, or 19 at most. Um, and like the way the draft works, we talk all about, you know, American football on this podcast. But uh, when whereas in American football, the draft order is by record and then there are tiebreakers if there are tied records and so on and so forth but basically the worst team picks first in uh you know in in hockey much like basketball there is a you're kind of lumped into a pool of bad teams and yeah. the worse you are the higher percentage chance you have to uh do they is in hockey is it literally like they're pulling ping pong balls out like in the same way they like sort of I think, do it's, similar, I think it's a similar sort of lottery because I remember it was improbable that was the other thing that like it was people, a low percentage they were bad but not that bad it was one right. of those I'm pulling my number out of my ass but let's say like eight percent chance you know what I mean like it's a chance but other teams had a 20 percent chance and the Blackhawks end up being rewarded at the tail like yeah. for an era in which they should probably be pretty bad for a while with a player who is young, uh, extremely young, expected to be one of the top players in the league in short order and whose rookie season is already producing extraordinary highlights. Um, and hockey careers can be long. Like when yeah. you have a player like this, it could be like 20 years of uh, greatness. The other, the other thing for me is that, uh, you know, I don't know if you you followed. There were huge scandals with Hockey Canada as well. Same stuff. Uh, widespread cases of sexual assault and uh, misconduct. Uh, throughout that program, uh, which, you know, ton of great women's and men's players pass through that program every year. Uh, so like hockey is just kind of a 
It is a sport that, you know, seems like it feels like there's a reckoning happening, but the reckoning doesn't really happen. It's the, the scandals keep emerging and then they keep it moving. So I think like, you know, when hockey, when hockey's good, I love hockey. Playoff hockey, I think, is one of the greatest things in sports, but also for a lot of reasons, it's a little harder to like fall in love with it again uh, the way I was, you know, seven or eight years ago. I'm lucky in that I, your dogs are wildin' right now, Rob. <laughs> they are. Uh, the, I never cared for hockey, didn't watch the Blackhawks more than in passing, even when they were great and I was unaware of the organizational failures. And so it's actually very easy for me to just compartmentalize this and pretend it's not happening because I just don't care about hockey. And I, Connor Bedard, good, bad, generational. I don't think that'll make me want to watch the sport. I'd watch it in person. It's one. It's like a you know. It's one of those. If I would love to go and watch a game in person, but I, I doubt I'll be uh, paying all that much attention, um, even Bedard or not. But all that aside, we are uh, welcomed to. We we are here to welcome uh, Luke Plunkett, co-founder. What are you calling yourselves? We never talked about titles. Did you, did you do that better than us of Aftermath, the brand new worker-owned media company, alongside Gita Jackson, Nathan Grayson, Riley, Chris, all the hits? Are you a co-founder? Are you an editor? We didn't think that far ahead. Yeah, neither did <clears throat> Hi, hi. Also, hi. Hi, everyone, by the way. But yeah, we, uh, I'm sticking with co-founder because I like co-founder. Mm-hmm. Co-owner sounds like it's a way less interesting kind of business. <laughs> Like we're running some small scale logistics warehouse or something like some <laughs> off-brand courier company or something. Um, co-founder is like, oh, we build something. This has meaning. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm sticking with co-founder. But that's where, yeah, apart from that, we don't have job titles. We don't have any, you know, no one's managing editor or whatever. That's, there's not enough of us to really bother with job titles, really. No, at, some, just at like, some point I was like making a hey signature guys. for my email. I was like, well, what should I put here? And so I just put editor. I believe at one point Rob pointed out, he was like, I don't think that's, I think I'm above editor. And that was the tone. It was like, I think I'm, I'm more, yeah. <laughs> co-owner does sound better than editor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to stick with co-founder for good. We People do sometimes ask, they're like, well, someone has to be in charge. Someone has to be your editor in chief. Who am I going to send the emails to? And we're like, we've kind of hoisted Riley up like the Spider-Man meme where we're like just carrying him unwillingly sort of. On our shoulders. Send the emails there. (laughs) Yeah, this guy. (laughs) You got a complaint, send it to this guy. You got anything else, you can send it to all of us. We're all the same. I like the way that sounded like crucifixion taking place. Uh, Honestly, that like we 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 obviously need someone to someone to run this thing. Riley to the cross. Well, if you know, it's it's a cooperatively owned business, and if there was a vote, and Riley voted no, and the other three of us voted yes, then. Crucifixion it is. Sorry, dude. <laughs> uh, so well, we're uh, happy that you're able to join us on a different part of the planet, different time zone. Nighttime for us. It's morning for you. Is that what, what time is no, it for you it's, now? No, it is at, to- at time of recording. It is 2.17 p.m. Oh, on afternoon. Tuesday. Okay. All yeah. right. Uh, it, is, yeah. it is the evening of uh, Monday for, for all of us, but... Before we get there's all sorts of topics, I know you're a big basketball head. Rob has a topic that he wants to get into you with you, but like, where does your history with sports start? Like, is it like youth athletics? Is it a family thing? We talk a lot about here about 
how oh. Rob and I had, obviously, like, you know, you're, we played in sports as kids, but a lot of what we talk about here on the podcast is a lot of our, like, generational trauma associated with sports <laughs> due to families passing down. You must root for this bad team. And then us being yep, up, yep. not being mature enough to shake it and just rooting for someone else. But where does, where does that start with you? Oh man. I, I like as an Australian, I don't have a starting point. It's just always been around. Like as long as I can remember, like I remember, I remember my dad was a really good Australian rules football player. And I remember going to watch him play. And he was like, when I was like three or four, like a tiny, like frag, like memory fragments of just like watching him play in the early eighties. And then from there it was like cricket was always on in summer. Football was always on in the winter. Um, my dad would take me to, to football games here locally. Um, so yeah, like I, pl- I started playing team sports when I was eight. Um, he made me play Australian rules football, a sport that I despise. Um, so, so I stuck with that. Like for his sake, I stuck with that for like two or three years. And then like, yeah, I moved on to playing basketball, cricket. Uh, I actually played a, what I would call American football and what you would simply call football. Because <laughs> uh, for, for like five or six years when I was at college and finishing up really? college, um, I've I've played. Yeah, yeah. What did you like? I've what? Played, um, where were you, where were you on the field? What is what position? I, what are we talking about here? I was primarily a tight end. Wow. Um, okay. Wow. At a at a massively undersized defensive end because we like in Australia, you, this may not be a huge surprise. No one plays that sport. So, <laughs> like, we would only have we would only have like twenty five guys on the team, and so most people would have to like double up and play on both sides of the ball, and so I would like. Yeah, I'm a tight end. I can run all the routes. I'll catch the ball, whatever. That's fine. But then they'd be like, we need you out there at the end. I'm like, man, I am way undersized for this. And so (laughs) my coach actually was smart enough to like adjust the tactics. He put me on like a weak side contain kind of like, you just stand here and just stop the running back if he comes out or something. It's fine. You'll be fine. (laughs) And so that was my- Did uh, did, um, a lot of the kids that were- Signing up, like, or at least enough where they thought, like, I guess we can organize some form of a team around it. Was it, hey, we're watching this on TV. We become a fan of it. So we want to Uh, play it. Like, where does that even. Like, it was a, it was a distinct mix of like three different types of people. There was like people who were into the sport. So like, I'd always been like a, a, you know, not a, not a huge fan, but I'd always been a fan of, of football from even when I was little. Cause I got introduced to it when I was really little because my. I had an uncle who would work in the US a lot in the 80s and he would like bring back souvenirs and he brought me back a 49ers t-shirt when I was like five Ooh. or six. And so like fortunately for that period of my life. <laughs> Got to room for a good I was like, team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it was a great, like, man, this 49ers thing is amazing. Like, Super Bowl, Super Bowl, this is, this is amazing. And like obviously, like obviously I, that was my fuck around stage and my find out stage was like the next 20 years. But um. <laughs> So there would be like people who were like like a third of the team maybe would be like guys who knew football and like genuinely wanted to play football. There'd be another third of like Americans, um, Canadians, <laughs> like 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 people who may have played the sport when they were a kid. Uh-huh. And they've they've come here and suddenly they can keep playing it in their twenties because we were just like a social kind of semi-social competition. Um Sometimes they, they had played. Sometimes they were just fans who hadn't had the opportunity to play, but now they could because we were all shit, so they could just play with us. It didn't matter how good they were. It's like you, if you turned up if you turned up and you could survive like five tackles in a row, you're on the team. There's your pads, there's your helmet. Like have at it. 
Uh, and the other third were probably just complete psychos who were in it for the ultra violence, like <laughs> all the all the local, like all the local club bouncers, like those kind of dudes who just wanted to turn up on a Saturday afternoon and just put a helmet on and just try and fucking kill somebody. Um, and they were like, that was always the danger of playing because you had dudes out there who were just specifically trying to kill you on every play just because they thought it would be funny or they'd get some kind of kick out of it. And we had like social amateur referees so like no one was calling any of the really dirty shit happening <laughs> oh my god either so yeah it was real mad max stuff like we were real it is not professional standard football at all no like rec um, league rec league full contact football isn't really a thing here for these reasons no like if no like- <laughs> it's, it's hard it's hard for me to kind of pitch this because when i say i play at college you guys are like oh you played at college and like no no what you're thinking no yeah you no you don't you don't have team like, the the local bouncer from the strip joint isn't playing with like division two, division three athletes. No. Uh, yeah, that's just not that's just not a thing. Uh, no. Also, didn't I, did I see recently that you like you just retired from uh, from rec, rec league soccer? So, but like a pretty serious so were, pretty serious team, right? So they they like I, I played American football as like a little stint, and like I played a bunch of other sports on and off, but like football was my Oh, soccer. This is going to get fucking confusing. So, soccer was my like main sport through most of my life. And I'd somehow managed to keep playing it till like through to my like early forties. Um, in like, again, it's hard to describe the structure because I don't think it's transferable to American sport, but like, I don't know, organized football of, of a semi-serious nature, um, here with like, you know, proper league referees and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I just retired, yeah, because my body finally completely gave way. I was going to say, what does retire? What does um, retire mean? Like, did you have a major injury yeah, like, that just made it? Where it's like, I just can't, or it was no longer yeah, fun 40, because the injury was just such a. I'm, I'm 43 years old, man. My body has turned to, to <laughs> dust. Like everything from the shoulders down is just yeah. You, gone, so you have to so. describe that for us, though, because the thing is, like. We, we didn't keep in shape like my body. Like, I don't know what it is to do like really athletic shit in my 30s and like into my 40s and be like, oh, wow, this ain't like it used to be. So I'm curious, like, what were the big things that like cued you that it was time to you couldn't keep doing this, even if you, you could re- get on the pitch and perform? You kind of reach these steps. You think it's just a slow decline and it's not. You kind of hit these hard points where it's like it. 34, 30, like you, you feel completely fine and normal to like maybe 33, 34. And then it's like, oh, that guy just blew straight past me. Like I thought I was running at full speed and that guy just went straight past me. That's weird. And then like another couple of years later, you'll be like, okay, I've got the ball at my feet. I'm going to turn. I'm going to play a pass. And your brain tells you to do it and your body just kind of doesn't do it as fast as your brain told it to do it. And it's kind of this shutdown moment where you're like, that's weird. I could have sworn I just told my legs to do this thing that they didn't do. Um, And it's just, you just start hitting moments like that where it's like your body's not doing what you want it to do or it is doing it, but it's not fast enough. And you start noticing it in yardsticks of like things you used to be able to do that you can't do anymore. And it's like, I don't want to get too bummed out because it's not like I was a professional athlete, but I have massive sympathy for like professional athletes that really struggle like with that kind of thing, because it's, it's like, it's really hard to go through. I don't want to make turn this into a sub story, but like, it's, it's your brain still feels like it's 19 and wants to do all these things and can do all these things. And just slowly your body's just like, Nope, Nope. Well, you have the muscle memory. Like my equivalent of that is, yeah. uh, So I've been at the, uh, 
We've been the same house for about seven years. I run the exact same. I have like different routes. It was like, what, how much time do I have today? How tired am I? Like yada yada. And I have this like this one that's like a just under three mile route. I have one that's like a four mile route. One that's like four and a half. And I know exactly like the pacing of those because I've done them hundreds of times in various permutations. And over the course of the last seven years where I've gone from, you know, 30 to, you know, 38, like I can, as I've gotten older, it's a version of that where it's like, ah, I, I can tell when like when I have to like take a moment to walk. And sometimes I do it because I'm winded. Uh, maybe I didn't sleep well the night before and I can I can tell I'm going to be fatigued. But most of the time it's like, no, I just need to I just need to slow down. I just need to slow down. Like I'm trying, I'm looking at my watch and I can see the pace. And I was like, that's not normally what I run this at. It's like, buddy, that's what you ran it at four years ago. Like mm-hmm. that's not, that's not what you do anymore. But, like, but I've done this route a million times. Like this is what I do. I get there in 12 minutes. No, you don't. You get there in 15 minutes now. And then it just goes and goes. And then it's going to be 17 and it's going to yeah. be 21. And then I'm and walking like, oh. and then I'm putting weights yeah. on and I'm walking instead. <laughs> is where I'm going to, I'm like a mall walker, but outside. I'm curious, uh, was the recovery from a from a game also changing for you? Because like something that I hear on like other sports podcasts I listen to, where you have ex players chatting and such, is like the acknowledgement that even like pickup basketball is things guys start swearing off in their late thirties or forties, where they play, you know it used to be a casual thing they could do, and suddenly it's like a well, I could still play a game and I could still be good. I'm still I still have some athletic chops, but I I can't afford the like two or three days of feeling like crap because of like what it takes now to do that and what it takes to recover it's probably, from it. Yeah. It's probably like the single biggest thing you notice more than the actual performance drop-offs. Cause I was noticing like during the 90 minutes of playing a game of football, I was still okay. Like I could still do most of the things that I wanted or, or needed to do. And I would go home and I, you would have that sort of muscle memory of, okay, I'll go home, I'll have a shower and then I'll go out, I'll have some beers. And then tomorrow morning I might play a social game of six aside or something. And then I'll train again on Tuesday. No, now like post late thirties, early forties, I would play a game on Saturday afternoon. And on Sunday, I, I would struggle to walk down the stairs again the next morning. <laughs> and even by like Tuesday night, when it would be time for practice, um, you'd be like, it'd take a huge amount of time to warm up again. Cause you'd still be sore from it. And then like you, so you'd have to drop the Sunday morning social soccer cause you just can't do it anymore. And then you'd like, I used to do a lot of like I used to do a long bike ride every day in between playing and training for football. That's that had to go. It was like, no, I need that's just making it worse. That's making it so much worse. I need so much time to just like you basically I think post 38 plus playing football, basketball, whatever, I think you essentially just need like everyone needs one of Boba Fett's like back to tanks from the the TV series where you can play football, come home and just sleep in that thing for five days six days however long it takes and well then especially you you've got kids too right so it is it is it yeah is- well it also uh, yeah that's also my isolation chamber where i can like take a break from the kids as well there's uh, this this back to take but even when you come people. back from like <laughs> athletics it's not as though like all right time to go home kick my le-. you know I, your kids are probably a little bit older now but it is not like as though you're going home to just purely oh yeah relax. no it's 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 kind of worse because they're older. Like my son's <laughs> ten, so like I would get home from playing ninety minutes of football at forty three years old, and like forty five minutes later, he's like, "Let's go shoot some hoops in the driveway." And I'm like, 
dude. Condense he's in like, the lounge chair. He's like, like yeah. Just... He's like, he's like, you don't have to do anything. Just stand there and shoot free throws. I'm like, oh, even that is so hard. Do you know how knees oh. work? Four decades yeah. in. <laughs> yeah. So you do it, and you just spend the whole time just like gently wheezing to death the whole time you're out there, like, ah, oh. like, Dad, you missed four in a row. Yeah, buddy, I missed four in a row. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a little anxiety though that now that you've stopped it, you know, it's not that stuff's not keeping you in at least that kind of shape. That like suddenly the f- the bottom's gonna fall out of. Like- it already has, yeah, yeah, it already has. I stopped. It's <laughs> it's it's November. Um, I stopped playing in August. I stopped playing. I actually had to stop playing a month earlier because I I did I tore my hamstring a month before the end of that season. So I don't know. It's been a few months. I've put on, yeah, I've put on weight and the Thursday night social indoor football that I play I'm noticeable like very noticeably like slower and and sucking for breath like I'm spending half the time a goalkeeper rotating into goalkeeper just because I can't run around as much anymore so yeah I was wondering that too I was wondering is there going to be a precipitous drop off in my fitness no it's really quick it only takes like two months (laughs) (laughs) and then you just feel like shit every day it's great I stopped playing football because I feel like shit and now I wake up and I just feel like shit in a different way every day. So, Well, before you, like, you know, you played uh, some sports in order to earn the beers and now now you just have the beers and think about the sports. So, uh, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you've got you've got Premier League. uh, To to cheer you up. I think one of the things I want to talk to you a little bit about was. I have been following I've been following it a bit this year, but I've been following the conversation a little bit more. And I saw you posting about it, which is that uh, VAR has, according to some and according to you, uh, basically come in and just like uh, completely uh, completely defaced uh, Premier League football. Uh, And I'm I'm curious, like, so for, for people who are not familiar with VAR. I think they probably are familiar with what it is, but talk through like VAR as it exists in, uh, you know, soccer and, and other, other sports and the way it's deployed. And like, why is it suddenly, you know, it's basically instant replay. Why is all hell broken loose now in the year of our Lord, 2023? You could ask a hundred people this question and you probably get a hundred different answers. Um, and that they, They'd all agree that they hate it, but they've all just got very specific individual reasons for hating it. Um, the main reason I hate it is that it's it has a noble intent, I think, in that it's looked at other sports that have instant replay, primarily American sports, um, and seen that there is value in it and and it can you know, by aiding the accuracy of, of calls on the field, it can help make results and, and outcomes on the field fairer and more just and sort of remove a huge frustration people have with the sport. Um, the two main problems with it are, though, that it feels like the first one is that it feels like it's kind of been imposed from the top um, in a way that a lot of other things in football feel like they're being imposed from the top um, and that fans don't like. Um if you're not a follower of European football, there's, you know, the last few years have seen a huge influx of sports washing and, and Middle Eastern petrostate takeovers of clubs, um, massive corruption at FIFA, um, sort of 
and the, the two those two Venn, Venn diagrams are very much just more so. I feel like um, most people associate yeah. FIFA with corruption, but it seems by your estimation, the shit mountain is is even bigger yeah, than it was it's off, before. It's off, it's, off, it's off the scale now. At least at least Seth Blatter, who was the previous head of FIFA, could always argue that by giving the World Cup to countries like South Africa and Russia that he was trying to sort of spread the game and take it to places it hadn't been. Um, they've sort of given up that sham now. They're just straight up like, yeah, we'll just take it from the money, whatever, it's fine. Um, and so there's this real feeling amongst the average football fan that a lot of stuff's being imposed on them by people who don't understand or go to the games. Um, they're just more interested in the business side of things, in making money off it, in selling a TV product. Um, and so there's that element to it. The other reason I think so many people hate VAR is that it's it's been kind of, like I know I know the NFL brought it in, got rid of it, then brought it back in a more successful way. I know it's used pretty well in basketball as well. Um, it's it's used pretty successfully even in Australia here with our, our rugby league competition uses it as well in in certain um, cases. A lot of sports benefit greatly from being able to stop the action, re-examine it, and look at a black and white decision, something that's binary, like is this ball in or out? Right. Did the ball did Here's the ball a line. Lead that Where was a foot? Yeah. Like like very yeah. like things like, are verifiable. Like if you, yeah, like if there's a game winning shot in the NBA, you just stop. If the ball's left the guy's fingers before the backboard turns red, it's good. Like it's right. either good or it's not. It's fine. Football's a really fluid, expressive sport that's open to a lot of interpretation. Like a lot of the rules in the game are sort of very much left in the hands of the of the referee as to be like, well, is it a foul or is it not? Am I going to let the game go on? Am I going to pull this back? Is is this okay or is it not? The Whatever two teams are playing, whoever's refereeing, you know, whoever the linesmen are, that can really make a huge difference. Um, by stopping the action and sort of freezing everything and breaking it down, football's rules don't stand up to that kind of scrutiny. And or it starts to feel pretty silly of, and arbitrary, right? Where it's like, is this really? Yeah, which it's not life or we death over applying, the match. It's just slowing things down. Uh, yeah, but it, by slowing them down, it's showing that the rules of the game aren't fit to be slowed down because right. we, we're in this situation now where a lot of these rules are slowed down, and we look at them, and people still don't know how to make the decision. And so VAR decisions are like full of of controversy and and debate because the referee will say one thing. It'll go to the VAR booth. They'll say something else, and everyone's confused because both rulings might be right, both might be wrong. Like, it, does it default to VAR? Is it essentially like whatever the the computer version says? Oh, is? So okay, it's not that simple. Like, at least yeah, at least you no. can say you know, and it's sort of like uh, uh, if the computer is frustrating everyone, but you can at least point at the computer and be like, "Well, that I sorry, like, what, what are we what are we gonna do?" <laughs> So like what makes it more absurd is each league in Europe has different rules for it. And the, the, wow. the Premier League in England is is especially um under fire at the moment because their implementation of VAR is worse than other places. So like VAR was at is in other leagues, it's at other tournaments, and it's annoying, but it sort of gets by. It's just attracting more controversy in England because it's been implemented so poorly. And that the decisions that are being made and the ways they're being made are just not standing up to scrutiny um, on an officiating basis. Like people are finding that the VAR teams are making repeated serious mistakes. And so it's like, what are we even doing here? Like this, uh, this thing's only supposed to exist to stop referees making mistakes. Now we're just taking the mistakes out of the hands of one set of referees, stopping the game for five minutes at a time and just giving them to other referees to make mistakes in. 
and all that's doing is like just making games worse to watch and to be at. So it's like fuck. <laughs> like I mean, this is the, just I a lose-lose it's, lose it's, it's the funny thing about professional sports in general is that you know ultimately they are professionalized versions of games of like a, a, an arbitrary set of rules to make things have an arbitrary set of fairness so that you can have fun within this set of rules. And like the more it's gotten professionalized, then the more it gets computerized, I think to your point starts exposing the weak points of like these rules were never meant to come to this level. Of, there are certain things that are kind of a binary uh, sort of bit that can live up to that sort of scrutiny, you know, is your foot in a white line or not. But so much of sport in general is a game and like it isn't meant to be that clear. And once you start applying that sort of logic, I don't know, it feels like you start picking away at what makes the whole thing, some of the vagueness, some of the opaqueness is part of the fun of sport and games and the human. But so is, so, is, so is the fallibility of the referees themselves. Like yes. I know it's annoying as a fan, but like players can make mistakes and players can have great moments. Referees can do the same. And as frustrating as it can be, at least you can put that down to a mistake. If you start bringing in this system that's supposed to be impervious to error and it's still making mistakes, it's just making everything so much worse. And it's also sort of showing, like you said, about how this isn't how they're supposed to be played. It's like a lot of football rules in in particular. I saw a tweet the other day. I'm, I, I can't remember who it was by, but he said VAR is making every kiss look like a porno because <laughs> if you if you, it, and I was like, man, that's just absolutely nailed it. Because if you want if you watch a game of football in real time, and I'm going to use offside as an example here, like offside is a rule designed to stop the attacker gaining an unfair advantage over a defender who's facing the wrong way, you know. And so attackers don't just flood the goal box and, and wreck the fluidity of the game. It's fine. Offside as a concept is fine. Its implementation has never been perfect. But this idea that VAR can call someone onside or offside by millimeters at a time is sort of forgetting the whole point of the rule in the first place. And that we have we had human linesmen because they would stand there and be like, yeah, that guy was that pretty That seems far egregious, ahead of the right? It's not like yeah, it's millimeters like, is, not, like that, is not a, a, a yeah. statistical advantage for the, yeah, for the player. Yeah, whereas like I, I started my career as a striker and as I got older and slower, I ended up moving all the way down the field to I spent the last probably five or six years as a center back. And so I, I know that sort of offside dilemma from both sides. And a millimeter doesn't make any difference. Like half a <laughs> foot doesn't make a difference. Like two athletes moving in real time when one of them is able to like shove the other one off the ball and protect it and stuff, it's making no difference to the game whatsoever. And so like continuously stopping the game. And I should point out, it's a game that's not meant to be stopped. Basketball, American football, rugby league in Australia, they've all got built-in stoppages all the time where if you inject a bit of an extra pause for replay, that seems to be okay. You shouldn't really – like football doesn't stop in a lot of times and so artificially stopping it to do this is sort of only making that even more like insulting to fans and and something that's just going to piss them off even more because like, man, not only is this a bullshit call – but it's like stopping the game for five minutes at a time as well. It's ruining it's it's ruining goals. Like goals are going in and players aren't celebrating and crowds aren't celebrating because no one's sure if it's going to be called back for being offside or a foul in the build-up or something else as well. Like it's just it's sucking so much of the joy out of a sport that's built around so much spontaneous joy. Um the the Hotspur yeah. Chelsea match uh from like about a week ago, I think was where I started to go like, oh wow, this has gotten this has gotten real weird 
because that was it, chaos. That was uh, I think that was a four one game by the end, but they had waved off like three, four goals that looked good. And it was what you're describing where, you know, they would they would go to the, they would go to VAR and you would see, uh, you know, it's a lot like, <clears throat> uh, you know, American football in a lot of ways where it's like we're going to watch this play in slow motion, really break it down. But it was like trying to apply the closest thing can come to is, um, you know, in American football, there's the they bring out the chains for the measurement. Right. And, and precision matters here because like getting that 10 yards, like do you do you clear that? Do you break the plane of the 10 yards? Do, like the ball's placed, you measure it that closely. They're trying to measure offsides with a similar precision with this projected line across the field. And then they're looking at this replay of a guy captured it, uh, you know, <laughs> not that high a frame rate it looks like because you have like a bit of blur and so there's this bit of like you know these okay i see two pixels of knee that are over this line and so we need to this whole play that unfolded uh is invalidated we need to we, we need to call it back uh and it's like that just can't be it, it's so it's it, it's so plainly not how soccer developed to be played and it doesn't it's a level of precision that doesn't make any sense in that context where you're applying this like millimeter precision to a thing that uh you know is never meant to have that but at the same time like i do like okay so when i watch a lot of uh premier league in particular i think there's a lot of uh, particularly English reaction that comes up sometimes too, where it's like, this is, this isn't what the game is supposed to be. It's very, people getting very high dudgeon about like, it's, this is, uh, you know, it's okay that like things, things were better and, and sure things were screwed up before, but like it was a, it was a good show. It's what the spectacle was all about. And I think there's a tension there because like, you know, in baseball, for instance, there are a lot of, it, there's a shocking number of umpires who can't call a good strike zone. They just can't. And they're just out there and they're like ruining pitching performances. They're ruining at bats. And if you don't have some sort of check on officiating, you end up with this position where games can start to feel really arbitrary based on like what did or didn't the officiating crew manage to detect and manage to call. And I think, replay is really critical in pushing back against that and countering it. Uh, is, I don't know. It's a, it's a tension. I haven't totally, totally resolved because the, the, the problem for me is, uh, you know, officials miss important stuff all the time. They misjudge things all the time. Uh, and I do want there to be some sort of uh, court of appeal to, fix the stuff that they plainly they plainly get wrong and i'm not sure offside is like the most fruitful place for them to be investing all that energy uh but but like there there are so many sports where it does feel like it can be you know it's it, it's a, it's a hard job to call these things in real time and and spot all these details in real time but also it can really suck as a fan to just see a, a game kind of derailed by the fact that like Oh, the the officials just couldn't get couldn't get it right. So I have a question. So I don't I don't watch a ton of uh, football, but what triggers like the like a goal review? Is it that every 
every goal is reviewed. And over the course of that review, you might find an error mm. that like causes it to retract. Or is there so like this? So oh, the v- VAR has 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 jurisdiction over certain events. And so this is part of the other thing is is there will be like blatant aggressive fouls that take place in other parts of the play right. or the game, the VAR can't touch. They'll be like, it's not our job, sorry. Even though, like, some guy just nearly got his leg broken. They'll be like, mm, not <laughs> yeah. our job, sorry. Um, Which feels like a place reviewed. where you do need a fish, a VAR, right? Yeah, exactly. To handle, like, um, bad penalty calls and bad no calls. That feels like... Cause so, yeah, because yeah, that impacts, like, whether people are getting yellow and red cards in sections of passages of play that aren't related to a goal. But, yeah, for your, for your question, Patrick, they... They're always, they're always watching. <laughs> so, so you'll see a you'll see a passage of play and like the ball hit the back of the net. Everyone starts celebrating, and then you'll see the referee just sort of touch his fingers to his ear, and he'll be like, "Oh!" And then, then everyone will know, like, "Ah, oh, shit!" And then, oh. then they'll be like, "And it's not like they're watching the moment the shot was taken to see if there was an offside." Sorry, I think this is one of the other weird parts is they will like rewind to see if the entire sequence of play oh, yeah, began yeah. with an offside so there yeah. see that's, so that's if, wild to me because like in american football like a very common occurrence is you'll see a, a player catch a ball and like the team starts celebrating it's like touchdown but it's built in we're like in the stadium they're always showing the replay every every touchdown is always reviewed and so you can tell really quickly the other team goes very quiet when it's like oh shit yeah i bobbled that yeah my bad my bad hopefully i didn't get away with that one whereas this the idea that you're going back more than just the the immediacy of like a kick into a goal is like combing through for mistakes seems wild to me. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's multiple instances where VAR has had to like do multiple checks on a goal. Cause they're like, was that guy offside? And then <sighs> they'll check. I think, I think that was, I think it was either in that Chelsea, it was in that Chelsea Spurs game or a different game from last week where there was maybe the Brighton game. I can't remember. Anyway, there was like a three phase check where they were like, was that offside? Was the guy that passed it offside? Was the guy that scored it offside? And then did the guy who gave the ball to the guy who passed it, did he foul the other guy before he did that? And so the VAR <laughs> check went for like six and a half minutes. It's absurd. And so the players are standing around for six and a half minutes. It adds That adds six and a half minutes of extra time to that half. And the half's only supposed to be 45 minutes in the first place. <sighs> and the players did kind of stop celebrating. Like you saw it in the in the course of that match where you see a yeah. goal go in, everyone's like, "Well, is this going to stand?" And yeah, yeah, like you do see, it is a bit like almost they reload a save from before the entire encounter happened because it's like, well, you know that you know the awesome like ninety seconds of football action we had down here with like crazy passes, guys keeping it in play, and like to, like setting up the shot. Before all of that, there was an offsides, and so we're just gonna like. <laughs> But also what makes it even more infuriating if you at least if you're watching it on TV, you tend to get half decent analysis from all the replays and the commentators and they're they're like so the commentators might be like, Well, that guy was clearly offside. Oh wait, oh no, it's being called back for the guy before that. And everyone's like, fuck. <laughs> if you if you're watching in the in the ground, like in let's say in the NFL, right? If you um well, I guess the NBA does this too, but in the NFL, like when there's a penalty call. Or there's a that's that's on instant replay. Like one of the referees will come out and he will explain it. Like he turns his little microphone on and he mm-hmm. does his hand signals, but he also like fully explains the decision that's been made. At NBA, like the NBA now, the ref even is basically like looking, like holding a camera yep. in front of their face. He does and the like, You're seeing them do right, work. This, yeah, it does. It's like it's like click like and subscribe. I'm an NBA referee. That was goaltending. <laughs> and 
in football, they just go, no goal. And is <laughs> anything so shown like, in the stadium? Because one of my favorite like a, parts So of, you can't you can't show a replay until the decision's been made. Oh, see, that's my the, favorite part stadium. about the NBA, the NFL, is hearing the the stadium revolt for you know, because obviously for the home team it's like, it. it's like oh, oh, and then the booze because the yeah. the play like the the audience like in that in that way like the people in attendance or like the surrogate for you watching on t- on television gets to weigh in at the people making the decision yeah. and that seems like there are lots of problems with American refereeing yeah and so that's that's, that's why they that don't seems, that seems a little more fair because even if they fuck it up <laughs> I get to boo you like boo like and I saw it I saw him fucking catch it like bullshit call so like in in England that the reason they don't show them is because there's a process where if VAR like the referee can get a VAR check and VAR might be like, I don't know, man, we can't see it either. Like it's up, it's up to you. You make the call. And so what the referee has to do then is he has to run from wherever he is on the field. He has to run to the halfway line and they've got a little iPad in a, in a, like an old fashioned camera. Like, you know, the, you know, a 19th century photographer where he puts the hood over his head. It's like a little booth and the, the referee has to go and watch his own little replay of what happened. And then he gets to make the decision off the same camera angles that the VAR people couldn't make the decision on. And <laughs> you can't bad. show the replays. It seems and like a bad it, system. It, is, it takes so long. So and then, yeah, go on. So you get to save up all the booze until the decision's made and then they can show the replays and then everybody loses their shit. Cause okay. it's like, man, that didn't okay. matter. Just let the goal stand. So I, I did like probably one of my, favorite implementations of replay is uh someone is watching the women's rugby uh world championships their var process is mostly about trying to assess penalties because like rugby is a dangerous game right like you get like it's a violent game it is an emotional game like you don't want to you don't want to like unjustly punish players for you know like playing playing hard uh, but you also at the same time need to make sure that it's kept like within some really strict guidelines for the safety of all concerned. And their their process is this whole weird like show your work thing where the official on the pitch gets on a conference call effectively with the VAR officials who are in the booth and you listen in on their conversation as they're like discussing like, okay, so what I don't like about this play is uh, look what she does with her elbow. Like right before, right before she hits, see that I don't like it. And you'll hear someone be like, okay, but was she, if you see it in replay, is she leading with her elbow? You, you hear these conversations of like, okay, but at full speed, it looks different. And it's cool because it's still like, these are still judgment calls. There are still going to be moments where it's like, yep. We're going. We're, we're trying to figure out like how we want to You're call trying to this. Intense, like, yeah. like you know, like all they did that in the uh, one of the alternative uh, football leagues, the the American football leagues. Like it was the XFL or one of them, where they when they were doing reviews, they cut to the discussion, and they were like the the ref was showing you here's what I see, like here's what I'm trying yeah. to determine, and I was like, that's I, I thought that was a really cool insight into like. More transparency into the process. People might still be mad at the decision or the outcome, but at that point, at least you have an understanding of the human element that leads to the outcome. And it seems like yeah, no, it's it's really helpful because the the professional rugby league in Australia does the same thing. Is whenever there's a, a a decision that needs instant replay, they just sort of zoom in on the referee and the referee sort of touching his earpiece, and you, they pipe in the audio from the instant replay people as well as him. And you like same situation, Rob. The you hear the whole conversation. And so even even on the odd chance where they they fuck something up, 
you can at you've at least got a paper trail of like, well, they talked about it, you know, they made a mistake, yeah. or they have they might have had a different interpretation of the rule or whatever. It's not just some ruling being made from from on high that no one can ever sort of see or hear or or, or challenge. Um, it's just sort of more bring it slightly back down to that more, you know. A space where there's more room for human fallibility, which you know we might think is not the greatest thing for instant replay, but might actually be something that makes it way more acceptable than just the idea that computers can decide, you know, on or off, yes or no, for every decision. Yeah, it yeah, makes I, the, ba- the, ba- the baseball thing is going to happen sooner. Or like the the robots are coming for the for the umpires. Um, like they've they've tested it out in some of the more amateur minor leagues. Um, but I don't know. Like I. I I'm with you, Rob. Like I've watched, you know, egregious strike zones where it's like that. I mean, that's just a that is a strike. I don't like. I like. I see the the oh. weird thing about baseball is when you watch it on television, you can see them being wrong in real time, right? Like they overlay like the zone that they should be calling from, and the ball will land in a spot, and it's like. Like we all just watched it. We all no, just the, watched the him meteor see wrong. entered higher. The atmosphere. The second uh, Spotrack uh, analysis be, like appeared on the broadcasts because it was the moment where it was like, oh, a lot of these guys are bad. Like yeah. some of these guys legitimately can't see the strike zone. Um, I'm only just learning that that shot in baseball where is is that's the one where you're sort of looking from the pitcher's perspective mm-hmm. and there's that sort of hash mark. Yeah, the grid and you can see. I'm only just learning that that isn't instant replay. Like that's insane. You that can't challenge watching it. At home. There's no wow. Um, like wow. baseball, you you can. There are very few things you can like. There's not a lot of challenging of plays. Like a lot of it's usually related to tagging a player, yep. and that triggers a review. But baseball's already slow enough. Like like they don't need you know additional reasons to but slow it down. That's but funny though because. Baseball and cricket, I'm going to get very Commonwealth here, but baseball and cricket are very similar and that they're both like very old sports, very traditional sports, both sort of roughly involved the same principles. You know, they played at the same pace. Cricket went like instant replay crazy decades ago and it's been hugely successful because they like, they started off with just sort of basic TV replays and they quickly worked out that because they've got a fixed camera's perspective, um, you can make quite complex decisions on where the ball was going or where it was heading or whatever just by remapping that out in 3D. And they can now make like incredibly detailed um, instant replay decisions in cricket pretty quickly in a way that like would be very similar to baseball. And cricket's like in some ways it's this incredibly traditional sport, but it embraced it ages ago. And I'm really shocked that like baseball hasn't done the same thing. They only added chips to our credit cards like, four years ago in terms of it being like mandatory <laughs> like uh the u.s is just like change i don't trust it well uh, uh, baseball itself has is been, it, yeah it, it, yeah it, that's the, what i mean baseball is really traditional like it's well and it's only shifted as a result of eroding eroding audiences right like the generational shift on baseball like baseball is losing audiences specifically to like basketball um and and i mean football's american football's always seems to be growing here but like Baseball was losing an audience. And so they may like these changes are coming not necessarily for the health of the sport or respect or not respect for tradition, but like, oh, shit, like the value of this teams of these sports is is going to disappear fairly rapidly as people start dying and don't value baseball as an institution. One of the changes that did it, we talked about this uh, uh, earlier this year, but like actually 
one of the biggest changes baseball has made in years, and I would say one of the most successful, was in introducing a, uh, they call it a pitch clock, which basically the pitcher has to throw the ball within a, it's like roughly 30 seconds, like per pitch, or else it's a violation. Um, and that was just something they implemented. And because you get pitchers just bullshitting, you know, they're all very superstitious and they'd be up there for minutes at a time. And it made the sport better. It's a faster game. It's a more interesting game. And it didn't have any egregious instances in the playoffs or the World Series. And so that was an instance in which like a, it's not a computer analyzing, but it is like a clock being introduced to speed up the game in which I fundamentally think it made baseball like a better product and like more fun to watch. It is like it's it's nice how like relatively brisk it is. Like I do like, uh, you know, a, a great long at bat is is amazing, but they were all long at bats and it was it was getting murderous. Uh, I, I think the other. The thing that will be missed a little bit is that it is kind of fun that like. The strike zone is not this perfect square. Yeah, it is like kind of misshapen depending on who is calling it. Uh, and, and like that is, that is kind of a neat thing. Um, you know, I think that if they keep, if they keep the, uh, umpires at the bases, we'll still have plenty of controversy with how they call, uh, check swings because this oh is, this God. is the one that nobody seems to be able Do to you know like, what a check swing is Luke. Is that the one where they start to swing and then they hold it and you don't know whether to call it a strike or not? It really seems like something they should be able to measure, right? It's like, did it go past the plate or not? Like, and- is, it, is it a certain <laughs> ang- angle? Is it a certain angle past the shoulder or whatever? Yeah, You measure yeah. it with a protractor and you should be able to get a result. And it can't be done. And it, it relies on the on the uh, umpires, the first and third base to determine whether or not the barrel of the bat uh, broke the broke the plane the, ba- the I think the base running line uh, to to see whether or not these the swing was checked but that's a long way I, away I have some sympathy for them on this point though because when a guy checks a swing there's this like weird whipsaw motion that happens where like the bat starts to like come back like really fast as the swing is checked and you'll have this moment of like the bat seems to be almost in like two places at once, right? Where it's like, it kind of looks like he went past, but then you see where his, his, his hands are and where the bat is like positioned. It sort of seems like maybe he did, he did check it and it just turns into a vibes based call. And it's always an important call because like strikes are an important call and nobody ever thinks the umpires get this right. Basically every time it happens, they're like, Oh, you'll hear the, the announcers be like, Oh, Wow. <laughs> wow they're calling that check swing oh and everyone just lets it ride and so they have I a camera situated where you can yeah. see it happen like in slow motion in real time and have a pretty good sense of like what the call should be but it's just see i love that shit like i i, yeah. will, I will miss it's a fine line in every sport right but i think the idea and part of what yeah. we're getting at here is the enforcement of these rules to such a specific degree ends up undermining some of the fun of the sport. And then also the fun of a fan, because what's the best thing to do when your team sucks shit It's to blame it on the refs, as opposed to what your team actually did on the field. Don't take that away from me and put it on an algorithm. That's all we've got left. (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, why don't we take a a quick break? We'll come back. Uh, We'll talk about some NBA uh, as the, the part of the season where nobody watches, 
except for sickos and weirdos, uh, gets underway. But we can we can talk about James Harden uh, after we after we come back from a break. <laughs> we'll be right back. We're back. Uh, we're gonna talk a little bit of the, the NBA, um, which, as as Luke, you pointed out, I think even people that really like basketball are really passionate about basketball. Like nobody, nobody's watching basketball in an October or November. I don't really tune in other than the Bulls until maybe January. Like once it seems like the pecking order has been figured out a little bit. Like where where does your interest? in the NBA even start like in the calendar year? Um, I only just got my league pass sorted out like last week. So that should give you some idea that like, <laughs> I think October, November is like, is like TBD. Like it's, it's, it, it, it almost doesn't count. It almost feels like preseason. It's like, so there's so much player turnover. There's so much coaching turnover that like, I, we just tend to dis like disregard maybe the first 10, 15, at least, games and then I, I i'll usually start paying a little bit more attention come sort of early december mid-december i think once you've played sort of 15 ish games like you can start to get a feel for it and then your easy way in january oh let's all start break have a break and then we go from there so yeah november not much not too much hoops but there's still like the flip side of that is it's always the best time to talk about the really funny shit um <laughs> Like, like James you know, Harden. James, <laughs> I was, took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> I think they have that, not. You don't get that. As of this recording, I don't think they've won like, since, time. since they traded for him. Um, no, I think they're 0-4. Um, <laughs> Rob, where where are you at early in early in the season? Like, have you have you have you figured, have you bought your league? You are not, Rob. Slowly. Over the past year, Rob has converted to the YouTube TV life and the ability to just add with a click of a button the ability. Like, why watch one game when I could watch all the games in tiny boxes at once? And so I know you've done that for the NFL. I assume you're doing that with the NBA. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> look, uh, MK and the dogs also love it. So it, like, encourages, like, MK calls it ADHD mode to have like all the multi-view stuff up all at once and just like <laughs> hopping from like screen to screen uh, where it's just like the, the action never stops <laughs> and the dogs are riveted because there's always something compelling happening uh, on the screen. So the whole family just gathers around and just like mainline sports uh, when there was God, what was it? They were, we would be splitting like Monday night football and playoff baseball uh between the two uh views it was it was great love it so yeah I'm, I'm a league pass guy now i regrettably no i don't regret it i like having sunday ticket i like it that is that has made some good for some good sundays uh, yeah, yeah can i ask a very like weirdly specific question please so if if you guys have league pass in the u.s what happens during a commercial break if you have League Pass? Do you just get the commercials? Mostly get commercials. Sometimes I get Enjoy the Moment of Zen. 
Yeah, and that's you what see I was like say. a pure moods video. It's, so that happens when they can't, they have <clears> not sold an ad at you. Like, so when you're doing internet based subscription services, they can target you so specifically based on your region and potentially affiliated team or community that yep. if they haven't, they sell those ads that specifically. And so rather than getting surfaced ads from other regions, YouTube just says, fuck it. Like, you want to look at a sunset yeah. for the next? So do you just mostly get that? Do you get no, any no, no. ads? So, no, no, no. We so we get zero commercials. So every time it goes through a timeout or, or anything, you either get uh, this blue screen that just says "game break" and it just gently kind of shimmers. It's like a PSP <laughs> wallpaper. Like it's and it's really nice because it's silent. It just sits there and you're like, oh. Like it's a break. This is, and you know, if it's a long time out or sometimes it goes for like three or four minutes of just this blue screen that just has game break on it. It's like, cool. <laughs> so like I- a, like a nineties loading screen from a CD game while it's just like loading, loading, loading. Some teams or some broadcasts though have the kind of, this kind of baked in, in stadium feed mm. where you don't get the timeout, you get whatever the crowd's getting. So like the guy with the t-shirt can. Okay. Or the so baby here's race. what's weird. Or the, when yeah. I skip forward to pass the, through, go, go through the commercial break. What I get from the preview image is that if I hit play, I will see the commercials that I'm supposed to see. But as I'm scrolling through, <laughs> I see like, and here come the local acrobats. So you've pierced the veil into my existence where it's just, Baby races and some guy trying to win ten grand from a I would, car dealership. I would, I would, here's, a three I would pay extra to make the ads go away so I yes. can see. Can yes. I see Dunkin' Donuts yes. beat Burger King? Like I want to place a bet. <laughs> but sometimes, like the best is sometimes like there was a heat game on the other day and it was just like they were playing some Spanish language music through the speakers and all they were doing was just cutting to couples in the crowd and trying and just having them dance and that was it. <laughs> Like, just like hips, have you seen? Hips, have you seen hips, little kid like basketball? Was, oh, man, have you seen them bring out little kids to play basketball? Like really little kids, like preschool age, <laughs> to go play <laughs> no. basketball in NBA court. It's hysterical. on a ten foot ring. Derek, yeah, hysterically oh. funny. Uh, where you will see all these little kids racing around. What's what's and what's amazing is, you know, like. It's a complete crapshoot as to who develops hand-eye coordination at this age. So you like, you might have like a really little kid who's like just freakishly good compared to the other kids because they have somehow they have somehow like like Neo in the Matrix. They can somehow like communicate, like they can make their arms push that basketball up into the air and make it go ten feet in the air, and maybe it'll drop in. And then there's and then there's kids where it's like. Just complete, cannot cannot handle the ball at all. Just like thwap it out of bounds, and the, they got little fake officials running around, like trying to keep the ball back in play, and like point like point kids back toward the other end. It's great. There, uh, I will watch more games until I get <laughs> baby basketball. There was there was uh, a baby race the there was a baby race the other day where none of the babies raced. Is they like lined them all up and all these parents were like encouraging the baby and the babies just like having none of it. And they just kind of like three of them didn't move, one of them went sideways, and then they just canned it. Like they just killed the race halfway through. And I was like, oh, <laughs> And then somehow great. they clear oh. up this chaos by the time like the commercial break is and then, over. Yeah, and then and you blink, you blink, and then Giannis is back out there. And it's like, how did these ten dudes get back out there? And all the babies are gone. And it was like three and a half seconds. <laughs> like they just had a 
like they were on a rotating court. Like they just pressed the button and the court just flipped. It, it does and, feel almost and all sinister, the players like, were on, underneath it. Yeah. Where did all those children go? Like they were there. Like that place was like it was like a big. It was like a big rumpus room for little kids. Like five seconds ago, and now all the kids have disappeared. And it's like back to being an NBA court. It's great. Um. So yeah, like this this time of year, I uh, you know, I mostly follow the Bulls. And I've got, you know, it's an exciting team to follow. You get to read exciting headlines like, should the Bears trade out Alex Caruso while they can? Yeah. And it's like, there's a good question. Like, you know, we are, we are just, a, we're just a few weeks into the season here. Is it time for the Bulls? Just blow it up. Just blow Rob it up. Van, Rob Van, a players only meeting after the second game of the season. Um, so like, wasn't it the first, wasn't it the first game? It might've first been, game. you know what? Maybe it was the second meeting, Luke. I'm not, <laughs> was I'm not sure. I wasn't too, keeping was, track, but then they were like, let's have a, let's have a follow up tomorrow night when we lose again. <laughs> it's, I mean, because the bulls are fascinating is absolutely the wrong word. Um, but they are stuck on this mediocrity treadmill, um, in which, you know, when we, when Rob and I were talking about them last year. Rob, they went on not an, an improbable run is the wrong way to describe it, but they got kind of good ish enough where they were fun to watch in spurts during like the last half of the season enough to like work themselves into a disappointing lack of play in tournament uh, finish. But Rob was like, this, you know, these players hey, wait, seem like they're, they're wait, playing pretty they good. They lost the playoff tournament. To the Heat, oh who God. went to the went Stop to the finals. It. Stop it! Stop it! Go write a Could blog. Could have been the Bulls. You SB Nation writer, get out of here! Like, like, go write your blog about why the Bulls should keep that core. Like, they have this core. They should have blown up a year ago, mm-hmm. and they haven't. They brought that core back again, and it just feels like we are. They're they're the, the most they're ever going to achieve was what they did last year. Was can you scratch at the play-in tournament? And then just lose in heartbreaking fashion and hope that the team that you lost to goes on to win in the finals. So you can delude yourself into thinking the core is better than it is. But they are not. Like, DeRozan's, DeRozan's so, like, they have a lot of fun players. But the, it's just a, a a core with a, you know, a very discernible ceiling. I don't think Lonzo Ball was this skeleton key. They would have been a better team. Maybe they make it out of the first round if his knees don't you know, essentially uh, yeah. stop Function. working. <laughs> Nightmare yeah. stuff that happened to him. Like it's so far oh, beyond I just feel like a normal so injury. horrible for just him like a, as a as a person. Like it's it's it, like what happened to him year over year, surgery after surgery to the point that the the Bulls were eventually able to cash in on like a hey I know we said we were gonna pay him all this and they had to pay him but like it wasn't counting against the like the cap as much because like it was such a catastrophic and freakish injury that like was not showing any signs of recovery just on a human level. I feel horrible for the guy yeah. and, and hope less so that he's, if he's able, I don't think he's going to play basketball again, or at least not the level he was, but no, I just talking about like just restoring like a mobility. He couldn't like walk up the stairs without like feeling yeah. extreme pain for a period there. So it's a, I, I'm expecting this team to be, complete sellers, you know, like they're already having those conversations. The Bulls are not in a good uh, Yeah, but what, what's wrong is that they, sh- they should have, but they should have been complete sellers the second last season finished. Yes. Because like you can have, you can have an average like ninth seed team, however you phrase that now in the playing age. I don't know. Yeah. Not, can I say ninth seed? Sure. Like that's full of average NBA players 
and you can't really do much with that. Or you can have a team like the Bulls that was an average NBA team that's full of individual plays that other teams would find some value in. Yes. And they could had a great chance last year to blow it up and get something for most of those guys. And running that team back just seems absolutely wild to me. Like, what did you think was going to happen? Like, which where was this team going to finish with this bunch of guys when you look at the competition? Like, what, is this team going to go to the conference finals? Like, ahead of six, eight teams ahead of them in the Eastern Conference? Like, no way. I'll be, I'll, even, I'll your, even, your, even your most optimistic owners shouldn't have been... Oh, but you don't you don't know the owners of the whites, the Chicago Whites, oh. the Chicago Bulls. So you know I, Jerry Reinsdorf is just. Mm, I mean, he was in the fi- you know he mm. was in the final dance. Like you got you got a taste of him in that documentary. Uh, I get a taste of I get a taste of the Bulls ownership every time I'm like on the NBA subreddit and there's a Bulls related post and there's just a bunch <laughs> of dudes just going through free therapy, just yeah. like talking about ownership every yeah. time, and I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. So I I, I I understand the shape of the ownership situation <laughs> with the Bulls. I'll just say this, though. I think, like, one thing that I do find enjoyable about the Bulls is, like, it is a really likable, yeah. fun group of players. And, like, you compare that experience to, turn like, you turn on the Bulls, and it'll be frustrating because, like, you see flashes of, like, man, this team can really pour it on. Like, they can go on runs. They can't, they can't close games. They can't put their foot on a team's neck. They can't do any of the stuff that you need to do to, like, win a lot of games in the NBA. They can't do it. Uh, they, they keep they at best. They like keep a lot of games close and then they just don't have the, the horses to, to win them. But like you compare it to like, they're still a compelling team on that level because like they are full of, there are a lot of good players. It is fun to watch this team. There's a lot of players that like you can sort of respect and admire. Crusoe is the perfect example. Like teams, teams not good. Else Caruso is such a joy to watch. He's such a, you know, gutty player out there. And you compare that to the experience of like, you know, watching the bears or something like that, where it's like, <laughs> yeah. uh, who gives a shit? Like, why would you like, I'm like the whole, the whole program seems checked out and the people who care aren't good enough to make that make a difference. And the people who aren't good enough to make a difference are checked out or they're just one guy. So I like, I, I, I watch the, I watch the bulls to get a dose of Chicago sports. That's like still, still has hope still is still is well, in their pieces. They just don't fit together. Right. Yeah. Like, or whatever, like if you were to make them into numerical values, they just don't add up to enough, especially against, I mean, the NBA is just, the teams, like, the good teams are better than ever. Like, the Nuggets, the South, like, the good teams are just, un- like, they're just in a tier wildly beyond, like, even if the Bulls performed with all of those players, like, having freakish off years and it all just gelled together, you're still not going to get anywhere close to what some of these incredible teams in the league have with, like, their base parts. And that is, that is... <laughs> that is where we end up, Rob. But hey, we got good announcers. Love hearing the announcer, the local announcers. Great for the Bulls. Love Stacey hearing Kings them. Stacey is actually really good analyst who seems to be read up on every team the Bulls play. Uh, like because <laughs> you don't want to read up about the team that you actually have to do the color analyzing for, so you might as well read up on the other players. It's weird. I, I watch enough of these games now from different markets where I'm like, no, he is a he's a really good like live analyst uh, yeah. of the game. Uh, but yeah, it's the the thing I do find compelling here though about like where the league is at right now is that it, it does feel like um God, 
it feels like it feels so competitive is the way I guess I would put it like, yes, like you can say like a team, like every team still needs like that, that guy, that superstar who, who's going to be there. But it feels like now the cast of characters who are the superstar has like fully cycled at this point and is in the process of, of continuing to cycle. And also there's like a lot of, the, there are a lot of good, like supporting characters now uh, who can, you know, who can and do make a team better than chasing another like big money signing uh, to, to show you're, you're serious for a championship contention. Are there, are there any teams in particular that you're interested in watching this season, Luke? I don't have a team. That's one of the joys of watching the NBA. Most I meant to ask sports, that. Like, like, where, where are you, yeah. where you fall on how you even choose what to watch? Is it just, yeah, it's a good game. <laughs> yeah. It is. Like I've been watching lots of Spurs games this season because I just want to see Victor. I just yeah. want to see this yeah. human spider. Like I'll I'll turn on the Sixers game because I like Joel Embiid. I'll be like, oh, this game's close. I'll just watch this game. And it's like every other sport I've, I'm ever into, I'm burdened by usually supporting like a really average, frustrating team. Like my <laughs> my football team's um, Aston Villa, which if anybody follows enough Premier League football would know like that's that's hasn't been fun times for a long time. It's good this year, but that's an exception. But so basketball is this real joy for me where I can just turn it on. I'm like, I'll just watch this game. I just watch this game. I don't really care who wins. I just want to see athletes perform. I just want to see cool shit. I want to see some cool dunks. I want to see someone block someone to hell and back. Like it's so, yeah, I will literally watch anything. Like I will just flick through a game. I'll turn on Lake Pass when I'm having lunch. Cause like this time of year, is great because most of the games are on at sort of 1 p.m., 2 p.m. For me, I'll just like sit down, make some lunch, turn league pass on, be like, oh, I'll watch five minutes of this game. I might watch this one after. It's nice. So the teams this year I am watching, though, I I am deeply interested and invested in the 76ers. Mm. Um, I find this the Sixers story, like obviously the, the, the decade-long narrative a captivating one, but like, I'm especially interested in this year because I always find the idea that so much NBA coverage is dictated by like cattle trading, like this idea that stars are everything. Team success is built on nothing but stars. If you move stars around and trade players and put this player there and that player there, that will be everything you need for success. And it's like every other sport and NBA history has shown that's not true. Like there's so many more variables involved in in sport and like everyone was so willing to write off this like I'm not invested in this as a Sixers fan so I don't care if they do this or not but I just find it really fascinating that they're playing so well this year when like everybody wrote them off as like well the process failed like they've lost everybody and Bede's going to request the trade this team sucks now you know losing Harden was that was their windows closed and it's like yeah wow this team's kicking like kicking butt everywhere because all they did was go and get a new coach <laughs> and have one player who everyone thought was okay just like spend the first 10 games of the season just absolutely bawling out of his mind um but the cattle trading find- aspect you're talking about i think is really interesting in the nba because the player movement that happens in the nba is so wild compared to a lot of other american mm-hmm. sports in which part of what's interesting about the notion of the 76ers this year is like well, he's going to be a free agent, I think, in two seasons from now. Um, hasn't, like, mm-hmm. signed an extension with the 76ers. And it's like can, like, can they be compelling enough for him to stick around two years from now? And, like, that's the nature of the narratives that end up embedding themselves yeah. 
in this superstar heavy league where it's viewed rightly or wrongly as like, well, th- you know, this this player eventually, if they're unhappy, well, they're going to get themselves out, whether through hook or by crook, and they're going to they're going to go somewhere else. And that is always the amount of movement we've had with players, especially in the last decade or so extends to the 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 sort of logical end of the process uh in in the 76ers. Yeah, but then you turn around and you see some sort of more general sporting things flipping down on its head where they just got went and got they lost a really terrible coach and went and got a really good coach and suddenly a really good coach can turn a team with one of the best players in the world and some other decent rotation guys into a really good basketball team because basketball is not about giving three celebrity guys a bunch of the ball. It's about, it's, it's, it is a more complicated sport than that. And these guys are running plays and being incredibly tactical every time they're out there. And so decisions like coaching decisions, it's cool to see those paying off more than just stars asking for trades and superstar teams wanting to assemble and then thinking they've already got one hand on the championship. Yeah, and I don't know, like the the whole way the you know you'd argue the Harden thing is also just an extension of uh, what unfolded in Brooklyn as, as well, right? Where it's like you know multiple attempts of like surely there's a way with these sort of misfit superstars that are floating around the NBA, like just need to find the right spot, and that that they are going to be the key in the lock that's going to unleash a team that has been like a playoff contender, but not a serious championship contender. And it just, it isn't working out. Nobody, <clears throat> nobody has really replicated, uh, you know, what, you know, what the heat did, uh, you know, with, with, uh, you know, Le- LeBron Wade and, and Bosch. And uh, certainly nobody has come close to replicating that, that era with, um, you know, the, 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 the Warriors super team, the, 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 the super stacked, like Hamptons five roster. Uh, nobody's, nobody's done it. But the, the other funny thing is it feels like the stars that are the center of like those moves. It's that same generation of stars. And so to a degree, it also feels like there's this element of like, it's these aging veterans that people are trying to figure out like, but they're so good. And it's like, well, yes, they, they are. And they, but they also were, and so to an extent you 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 have you you have this era where I think some some of these guys are are floating around it's they're they're diminishing in value you know it's the, they 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 aren't going to be that shot in the arm that's going to get a team fired up and increasingly like you're seeing a lot more evidence that if you can develop a player effectively that is going to work out a hell of a lot better than going out and signing a star and also increasingly like taking out the baggage that, that some stars bring. Well, that's how the Warriors could put that team together in the first place was because most of those players were developed internally in the yeah. first place. They really only had to go and get Durant. So yeah. like I, that, that's a weird exception to the rule, of course, because like not you don't often develop that many guys turning into superstars from the one generation <laughs> on the one team, you know. Um Good for them. But like, yeah, it, it's almost like the media, the media's obsession with superstar players in the NBA is like just, I find it 
And then this goes to what you're saying, Rob, about how they, they will linger and still talk about James Harden like it's 2018. Like yeah. we shouldn't be talking about James Harden that way in 2023, especially when you see the dude out on the court now. Like it's funny that I – like we talked earlier about how I had a huge di- amount of self-awareness as to my diminishing athletic abilities – um, and I was just like some guy. Like it's crazy <laughs> that a professional athlete who's around sports scientists and trainers and, and stuff all day has no self-awareness that, man, I am slower and heavier than ever. I just can't do the things I used to be able to do, but I'm just going to pretend in public that I can anyway and see if I can get away with it. Um, and he kind of did. Like he kind of keeps getting away with it. He kind of keeps getting these trades and getting these headlines and sucking these teams into making these bad decisions. And it's like, I don't want to use James Harden as like the only example of, of this in the NBA. It's just the one we're talking about today. But like that dude has not been good news probably since that, that time the Rockets really pushed the Warriors in the, the Western Conference semis. And that was a very long time ago. Well, like NBA players are really media got- savvy, right? Like I think that's one of the things. They are, yeah. Like they're, they're media savvy. They're far more online than the average like NFL player or even a bait, like a lot of the American sports, like the most online sports athletes in America, they exist in basketball. They got burner accounts. They've got, you know, they're active on Instagram. And I think they just, and also, you know, Rob and I talk about this a lot relative to American football. They don't wear helmets, right? Like you see them. Um, Like you are like, they are just characters. But you see, you see them. You see them really close too. Like basketball Correct. is a much yeah. more inti- intimate sport. There's only five of them out there at any one time. Everyone's sitting right on top of them. The cameras are always right there. We see them come in every night wearing, you know, a two thousand dollar pair of sneakers and some wild suit. Like it's, it's so much more. Like every star in the NBA shines so much brighter than in another sport where there might be like ten other guys out there and you're sitting a hundred yards away or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's, that definitely probably plays the part in how much, not only how media savvy they are, but like how obsessed we are with them as stars, just because they are shining celebrities as well, right? Like, like there are plenty, like if you were to, you know, the, the NFL every year, like, you know, top hundred players, I bet only 10 of those, the average person who watches football on a decent or somebody's could, could name. And they're probably quarterbacks, right? Like outside of that, you just can't name them between the helmets between the general anonymity that like can happen on a, an American football field and on basketball, that just doesn't occur. Like every player is central in the narrative of the game in a way that is just different from, from other sports. And you're right. The camera itself, like the literal like viewpoint is just so much closer than if you watch a baseball game, a hockey game, a football game, like there, it is probably one of the tightest shots that you get out of like any athletics outside of like individual sports. Um, but like, even if you're at a game, like you can heckle LeBron, like you can be four yards away from LeBron and you can like get his attention. Like you can't, you can't heckle Messi. He's 65 <laughs> yards away. Yeah. Like he's head in the middle. You know what I mean? Like you can't, you can't, has, you can't hustle an NFL quarterback. Like he's, even when he's on the sideline, he's still miles mm-hmm. away from the crowd, mm-hmm. you know, but like the NBA guys are so like in your face in the arena. Yeah, and yet that doesn't they, mean it's right. <laughs> Uh, well, and you know, they can be, they can be these like huge dynamic stars. Still won't watch them in November. <laughs> still, still, well, you can, you can hit me back in the, uh, you can hit me back as football's winding down, but maybe the in-season tournament is just what we've all been dying for to cure that sense of ennui. 
Uh, when does that begin? What's well, already okay? Began. Ten days ago. Yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> well, things are Haven't you, see, haven't you seen those colored the the it's colored the, the colored uh, uh, floors? Like that's I think that signals like there are regular season games that qualify as part of the in season tournament. And so whenever you watch a game and you see like like the Bulls, like oh the floor is red. It's like that's because. It's not they're not playing a floor is lava game. Um, it's because it's because that counts in theory towards the regular season and also toward the in-season tournament. And it's it's goofy because I just don't know what the players like this goes hand in hand with the load management rules that also were deployed this year, which are essentially the NBA saying, hey, um, if the games are nationally televised, you can't just sit all your stars because nobody's gonna want to watch these games. And so it does seem like it's Adam Silver, you know, the commissioner of the, the NBA, trying to recognizing, rightly, nobody gives a shit about the NBA while it overlaps with the NFL season. Like, that is kind of the crux of what's happening here. And, like, how do you get anybody to care before the games start mattering, trades start happening in the NBA? I don't know that any of this stuff is actually going to make a difference because I don't know that the in-season tournament structure fundamentally changes the math for the players in a way that would make change the math for the average viewer to want to tune in or not tune in uh, based on their it's existing like, habits. It's like the quintessential Adam Silver decision though. Like he's such a middling guy. Like he can never, <laughs> he's always got to have one foot on either side of the fence, one foot mm-hmm. in either camp. It's like he looked at European football and he rightly said, man, these cup competitions are an amazing diversion from the regular season like they're so exciting teams can be eliminated early like we don't have that in in regular season that's great but like he then didn't either bother to look at the real reason they're so exciting or more likely he just couldn't be bothered with the money and expense and logistics of organizing a proper basketball cup competition which would have been a standalone comp featuring like european teams australian teams that's that's the thing that's the thing yes G League teams like that, that would have been an amazing cup, but that would have added more games on top of a season that's already too long. So it's like, no, we can't do that. He wants to make regular season games more exciting. Like another obvious thing would be like, just have less of them, dude. Just play every other team twice. <laughs> we don't need 82 games. Like, like just play 59, 60, whatever. But they can't do that either because that loses TV money and it loses, Correct. you know, it'll piss the owners off. And so he just has to, he's paralyzed between this, like he wants to do this cup thing to to accomplish this goal of making the regular season more interesting, but he's he's paralyzed in the, like he can't make the hard decisions in order to do that. So he's just come up with this wishy-washy in-between thing that like ultimately, like there's no way this thing's going to survive more than, Two or three years, like no one's gonna give a shit. This is the most esports ass thing. Like when, like <laughs> when, when League of Legends was trying to figure out, like, man, League of Legends esports is it, it, it draws some big numbers toward the toward the end of a season. People are playing for a championship against all the leaders of the different regions. Uh, how do we get that energy throughout the year? It's like you can't, you you can't do it because like there's only the one big thing that people care about. And here, yeah, the thing the thing is sabotaged by the fact that U.S. sports franchise model, which it, you know closes off the competition, makes sure that like you know, ownership of these these franchises is enormously valuable. Uh, nobody can create a competing product. 
uh, that that is sort of meaningful. It has any sort of meaningful parity uh, with with what the what the what the leagues are able to do. Uh, that all does come at the cost of. Well, golly, why don't we have as vibrant and dynamic a competitive ecosystem as exists in Europe, uh, exists in other parts of the world? Why do, why don't we have that? Why do we have why don't we have fan bases uh, that are sort of passionately engaged with these teams, uh, you know, across tons of different regions? And you know, the answer is it's just not like the entire the entire thing is designed to be really top heavy. And there's only the one championship that is that is relevant to it. And I think we see this kind of proven again and again where, you know, it was the start of this year. What is time at this point? But do you remember all the good vibes coming out of the uh, World Baseball Classic uh, where, mm-hmm. where you had people playing for national teams and taking a break from playing with their with their regular teams and, and going to play uh, for for national teams and, and sort of mix the field up that way. Everyone wasn't that, wasn't it. That was like Otani was like, uh, he was pitching to strike out Trout, Trout. right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. It, absolutely great stuff. Like who, who doesn't love that? And I think that's, that's the other, that's the other problem is that the NBA isn't an international league in terms of where right. it draws its talent and all that. If you want to see these players reconfigured in interesting ways, playing for something they give a shit about yeah you probably do lean into some sort of like national team structure but they, it has to be done through through the nba uh it has to be done through the existing teams as they already are because that is the that is the model this is like trying to get more money in the same franchise's pockets uh yeah it's it, it seems like a really it seems like a really sort of hacked together solution to the problem of like this is just not that compelling a product until uh you know and until we're closer to the spring yeah so i don't know like i'm i'm rooting for like I, two things i really enjoy at the beginning of this nba season are just the weird consecutive losing records like the grizzlies being able to get a win like for multiple games in a row the clippers being able to get a win with uh with harden i i feel like they're this because the league hasn't really settled it's kind of hard to figure out where the narratives are for even me to like grasp onto and to figure out like who am I re- like the nuggets still seem good. Like women, Yana seems like Luke, you call him the human spider is a, is a great way. Like that team doesn't seem very good, but he's interesting and watching him figure it out is fascinating all on its own, at least so far. He's the first player I've watched off the ball, like repeatedly in <laughs> God knows. Like I just, like it's just like even like my wife will sometimes be watching it with me and she'll be like, "Is this the guy?" She's like, "Is is this the guy?" And I'm like, "Yeah, it's the guy." We're watching the guy again. We're watching Victor again. Yes, the large uh, boy. Yeah, uh, but there's Rob- that at least. Like, this, it's not. It's nice to have rookies. Like, you know, I guess one of the few things would be watching. Like, because Chet Hol- Chet Holmgren didn't get to pay play last year either, and yeah. so like it's nice to watch him. You know. Um, finding his way like you can watch rookies evolve you can watch players you didn't think like like Tyrese Maxey you can be like where did this dude come from like you can watching players like improve is nice um but you know that's not much of a (laughs) some guy that's I'm really reaching to come up with nicer things to say about November basketball than uh developing players it's really nice it's nice to watch someone an upwards trend yeah Um, yeah 
Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Rob, before we get to some some questions, anything else about the NBA season that, that strikes you before we get to those? Nope. Uh, all right, you can send in questions for sports with the, the subject sports to uh, questions at remapradio.com. Um, this is a question that's come up a number of different times uh, in, you know, if you've followed games, followed esports, but I thought with Luke here, uh, I thought it was worth uh, bringing up again in the... Uh, sort of like broader way we think about sports and rules. Hey, Remap folks, seeing the news about the final nail in the coffin of the Overwatch League has me thinking about their failed attempt to mimic the traditional sports franchise model where teams are based in specific cities in spectator ticket sales or a major revenue stream. The attempted uh, implication that uh, OWL teams would have uh, become lasting cultural fixtures has me wondering what the maximum lifespan of any esport is, and I'm not sure the ceiling on that statistic could ever be very high. Here's my thought. Live service games rely on providing a constant stream of new content to keep players engaged and paying. But constantly changing the game harms the viewing experience because it means spectators have to constantly relearn how to parse what's actually happening in the game. Traditional sports viewers don't have to worry about new abilities, new maps. Wide receivers are nerfed this year. Outfielders got a rework of their skill tree, etc. Sports leagues will sometimes make minor tweaks to the rules, but since they're never worried about trying to sell new gameplay, the game can remain the same. This means that the only people who can keep up with all the changes to a game uh, that are necessary to understand watching it are the same people who are currently playing it, which dramatically limits the potential size of the esport audience. By contrast, though, most fans of traditional sports aren't current players, even in a recreational or casual capacity. This disconnect between the viewer base and the player base allows sports to attain viewership numbers in the tens of millions per game. Can an esport ever hope to become so mainstream that the vast majority of spectators are not current players? Or is this tension ultimately unable to ever be resolved in a lasting manner. Fuck capitalism, go home, Evan. Uh, Obviously, Rob, you've had a lot of experience covering esports, but Luke, I thought this sort of touched upon, like, the reason we can get so up in arms about VAR is because in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big of a change, but it feels really impactful because of, like, the pace at which, quote, quote, real sport, like, does or doesn't change. So I'm curious what you what you make of a question like this, given that having blogged for this long, you've you've at least seen and watched esports as it's evolved and having to cover it or not cover it yourself. I think that was a very succinct and accurate description of why esports will always fail, so long as it tries to copy the sports model. Um like on a on a personal basis, very personal basis, I do not like esports. I do not like any esports because for me, like I don't begrudge anyone else, but like for me, everything that esports tries to do, I'm already getting that from actual sports. Um, and for me, video games are something else entirely. Like I play video games for immersion, for relaxation, you know, for some some cooperative stuff. I'm not, I'm never playing games competitively. I don't play the kind of games that are played competitively that often. So like esports has never appealed to me personally, which is why I can also quickly see why it doesn't appeal to a lot of other people because most of the reasons just outlined, there's so many barriers to entry for for newcomers to be into watching someone else play a video game that sort of all begin and end with the fact that all the sports that we talk about, like actual sports that we talk about and love exist as sports. So like the NBA doesn't own basketball, the like like the the Premier League doesn't own football. Football and basketball exist outside of those structures. I can go outside of my driveway and shoot some hoops right now. No one can stop me. You know, uh, Overwatch is an intellectual property. Seems like well, I was gonna, yeah, sorry, 
Saturday, Saturday afternoons <laughs> accepted. But like, um, like Overwatch is owned by Blizzard. You can't go and set up a Rebel Overwatch competition. Like it's a it's it's a, a video game that by nature is is limited to a finite amount of of time that it's appealing to someone because of technological advances and you know cultural tastes changing and whatever. So like nearly every esport is going to have an incredibly limited shelf life that is dictated entirely by the the company in charge of the game. So like stuff like League of Legends and Dota and whatever that have been running for 10 plus years those have been successful. They're also like exceptions to the rule um, in a way that those games are, are quite long lasting, but like they're not going to last forever in a way that baseball has, you know, or, or that cricket has or something else, because you can't ever have those video games existing without the companies. Um, so you're never going to get the the competition and the scope and the accessibility that you get by just being able to go and play your own game of Overwatch or like, there's no such thing as like we talked about the kind of different sports I've played. I've played semi-serious organized football. I've played five-a-side like mixed indoor soccer and there is no spectrum of that for esports. It's it's there's no scaled down casual uncompetitive esports that has nothing to do with Blizzard or, you know, or Riot or whatever. Um so yeah. It'll never it'll it'll never be as accessible and and mainstream successful as regular sports is because there's just too many barriers to to people being able to watch understand and enjoy those video games yeah the games need to be stable for a long time uh to the point where people can without keeping abreast of the game still tune in and see what is happening i think this is why like you know counter-strike has been going for 20 years at this point uh and you can still like a counter-strike match today like looks different than it used to but at the same time looks, looks the same uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of continuity there and that is part of its longevity uh as a sport is is because like counter-strike doesn't have to <laughs> counter-strike just from its foundation it, the the game kind of came before the business model right and so it wasn't about like uh you know if, if like i think rainbow six siege is actually an interesting case of like if someone tried to remake counter-strike today but like for a microtransaction economy what would it look like it would look like siege probably and siege is siege is cool a lot of people people love it really hard game to follow because like every character has a different you know kit uh completely changes like the the tactics and plays that are in the offing in a way that like it makes it hard to read in a way that Counter-Strike n- never is. And some of those maps are old Methuselah. And so you can immediately sort of tune a new game and you can follow what's happening. And that is not the case for, for most esports because of this need to continually renew things. Uh, so I, I think that's, that's, that's very much to the, to the, the point uh, the, the Evans sort of put their, put their finger uh, on the issue here, which is that, <clears throat> you know, if you aren't if you aren't on top of these games, if you aren't playing them and playing them seriously, it isn't too long before the the game starts to leave you behind and you're just kind of watching and it's like a lot of shapes and colors and shouting and and sound effects, but you aren't really like you aren't really seeing what's happening. You don't really you don't really follow the the action that everyone's getting so excited about. The other part that I think Luke gestured toward is the sports are cooler. 
They are, they are though. Like a, a physical feat is some, like you can watch the Olympics and you've never you, you've never watched high jumping or it's it's been four years or whatever since you watched mm-hmm. it. But someone will do a cool jump and you're like, man, that was cool. Or like the sports where like Messi will score some wonder goal or um, like I don't know Zion will like just yam it on someone. And even if you don't understand basketball, you can appreciate and admire the physical effort that went into what that guy just did. Like you don't need to understand the rules to understand how cool that thing was. Whereas if if you show me some complex move that you pulled off in League of Legends, I have no idea what you mean. Like I have no idea or an intuit or what you're talking about. So there's that abstract yeah. thing that sort of is a huge barrier. The the one exception I'd say there might be the FGC, because like by nature of sort of being built more around a genre than individual games, you sort of mm. tend to see the same names popping up and sort of maintaining long runs through different like Street Fighters or Tekkens or whatever and Smash Brothers. And so you see, like, there's a continuity there that the FGC enjoys that other games might not. And plus the FGC has the added benefit of, like, it's got a really cool in-person yeah. um, thing to it that other sports, you know, it's more of a, like, far more intimate, heckling, like, passionate crowd that you might get in the more, the like, larger League of Legends style um, events. So, yeah, I'll say... Everything that we just said about esports, FGC might be the only exception. But then it's not—it's debatable whether that's even an esports. So I guess that falls outside that. <laughs> they certainly tend to um, reject, uh, or historically yeah. they tend to reject the, yeah. the moniker. And I think mean, the, the other—the other thing is FGC, with some of its resisted uh, corporatization and having the publishers come in and run the entire scene for them, but like. You'd argue like Capcom sort of, Capcom sort of bull rushing in there and being like, we will determine what, you know, what what the competitive landscape for our games looks like has kind of shot them in the foot, the the landscape for the games uh in the foot. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, but like on net, has it been has it been healthy? No, and I think that's that's one of the issues that has been uh another major problem for esports is this sense that the publisher has to come in and own the space and they astroturf a lot of the scene into place before it's ready to grow organically and you're better off just like kind of seeing well what games have legs like what games are going to what games are people playing 10 years after they came out Nobody has nobody has the patience or the business model to let that happen, but that is probably how you would find the few, and that is that is how how they found the few handful of games that do have those kinds of, the, those kinds of legs. Another question from uh, Paul in Vancouver: How do sports mappers? I'm going to give this link here in the chat room to the two of you. Uh, I was idly browsing co-host today and came across a co-host. I know Patrick doesn't like that word, but too bad. You're right. I don't like that word. I don't like co-host. Feels bad. Anyway, uh, I found this co-host about old-timey baseball expressions. As much as reading through them was fun, I particularly like dog my cats as an exclamation. Grab the leather in style for a good catch. However, the one that really drew my eye was Chicagoed as a term meaning to be beaten soundly. <laughs> Sorry to say that apparently Chicago sports being bad tracks back almost to the founding of my country, Canada. To make this uh, a question and not just bullying your fandom, do you have any fun sports sayings you like? Paul from Vancouver. Uh, P.S. The CFL is a fun way to watch football we play in the summer. Rob, people keep pushing the CFL on us. We're going to have to try and 
do that next summer because um, people have brought it up a number of times. Luke, I figured at least as someone that watched different sports than us in a different region than us, do you have any fun sports sayings that you can that you can? I think give my favorite and most used, yeah, my favorite and most used one is probably from cricket, and it's called um, "through to the keeper." And so in in cricket. There's a, one of the big differences between cricket and baseball is baseball you kind of have to hit everything that comes at you within a fair zone. Yeah. Cricket you can just you can just choose to not hit a ball. <laughs> if you like if if someone bowls a ball and you're like I'm going to hit it, mm, no maybe not. You can just kind of like not hit it. <laughs> and and just like I'll try I'll try again next time. It's fine. And so that like that's called letting it go through to the keeper. And so like I use that all the time usually in terms of like online discourse where someone will like ask me a question or expect my viewpoint on something. And I'm like, going to let that go through to the keeper. I'm just gonna like, <laughs> do, you, do you have I'm to not, show? I'm not going to swing at that one. Do you have to show intent? Like what is, what determines? No, that- no, you can, you can literally, you can just. Just watch like, it. Just like, woo, to, there goes that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, they'll just be, cause like to hit a cricket ball, it's like baseball. It's such a split second decision uh-huh. that your brain will be like, yes, no. And then you'll just, like sometimes you'll kind of move the bat. Sometimes like listeners, you can't see this, but I'm doing all these twitchy cricket bat moves. Sometimes you can like, you start to swing and then you're like, Nope, I'm actually not going to. Sometimes you just hold your bat up and just be like, no, nah, I'll try again next time. That was a really good, that was a really good delivery. I'm not going to even try and hit that. Um, so yeah, I do that all the time for like to, to get out of arguments or difficult situations. I'll just be like, Oh, that's going through to the keeper. I like that. I like that. Uh, last one is, it's not really a question as much as it, it's continuing Oh, we've had in a couple of episodes now where people write in with interesting celebrity encounters they've had with a sports athlete. Hi, Patrick and Rob. Despite not uh, following the NFL, more sports for that matter, save Formula One, I find myself listening to the sports podcast because sometimes you just need to listen to your two parasocial friends talk about things they enjoy while you're doing some yard work. Thank you for your support. Uh, on to the story, which is really more my wife's story. Her name is Jessica. It may be important to note that despite growing up in uh, Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, having one degree from the uh, having one degree from the University of Alabama and working on her second at the time, and her mother also retiring from the university, Jessica has absolutely no interest in Alabama football. I would describe it as an active apathy t- uh, at best and mild disdain at worst. In the spring of 2010, and the weather was just starting to warm up, Jessica was in graduate school, but she worked at the public golf course here in uh, Tuscaloosa. <laughs> I'm gonna fuck this up. <laughs> Tuscaloosa. 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 We'll get there. Where she had worked since she was in high school. She knew all the regulars quite well and was one of the longest running employees other than the managers. Anyway, on this particular Saturday, she was running the pro shop at the course while an amateur tournament was being held. uh, When in walks a very athletic looking young man who asks if he can play 18 holes. Jessica tells him, no, there's a tournament today, but I guess you can shoot some balls on the range. Looking dejected and a little confused, the young man pays for a bucket of balls and walks out of the range to hit the balls alone. That man was Mark Ingram, and he was just two to three months after he had won the first Heisman Trophy in Alabama's history as one of the primary forces for the national championship win that year. So the people here, that man was a damn hero, and every single one of the tournament players would have loved to have Mark Ingram come and join them, tournament be damned. Jessica had no idea who he was, and to this day stands by her decision to tell him to pound sand. The only reason she ever found out who he was was because one of her managers rode by and spotted Mark, and then asked, why is Mark Ingram hitting balls on the range all by himself? I believe her response was, who is Mark Ingram? Which is just delightful. Thank you for, thank you for writing in. That is, that is wonderful. Do you have any more? 
embarrassing celebrity encounters with uh, you uh, or uh, people in your life, please write into questions uh, at remapradio.com. But that's going to bring us to the to the end of sports. Uh, Luke, I, give us the full pitch. What's Aftermath? Hit us. It's a good website. It's a website about video games and sometimes some things that aren't video games. That uh, is my new job. You wrote about music I today. I saw you like linking to a I music did, yeah. blog. Yeah, that's my first ever published music review. That was nice. Because who's going to tell me to stop? Like, no one's going to tell me not to write or to run it. It's my website. So I can do what I want. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a website that I have co-founded with some uh, fellow ex-Kotaku, ex-Washington Post, ex-Vice uh, friends, Riley McLeod, Nathan Grayson, and Gita Jackson. Um, we're also getting some uh, blogging love from our fellow ex-colleague, Chris Person. Um and so credits Alex Jaffe is hosting a podcast with Gita as well. Um, it's a, you know, your your listeners will be very aware with our whole business <laughs> setup where we are like, we don't have any bullshit owners to try and appease or satisfy. We just ask for a, a few bucks from our readers every month just to keep the lights on. So, um, yeah, that's the pitch. We're hopefully, we're hoping to spend the next however many years of our lives just writing video game coverage and scoops and reviews and impressions and whatever else we feel like writing in a way that people appreciate and enjoy and that they appreciate and enjoy enough that they can give us at least $7 a month to keep doing um, <laughs> so that we can keep doing it. It's a very good website. I've enjoyed all the stuff that all of you have published so far. It's like really encouraging, really exciting. Uh, and you know, anyone that is listening to this supporting remap, if you like the stuff we do, you're going to like, whether you know the names or not, you're going to like the stuff that they're doing over at Aftermath. And so if you're in the business of trying to keep the lights on at a place like this, you know, you should also be interested in keeping the lights on at a, at a place like that. There's a, a lot of good stuff going on. And I, although I will say, on one hand, do I want a media company, worker-owned, focused on blogging, covering games, et cetera? On the other hand, you're you're also encouraging a man's filthy, disgusting online technology habit in which... Chris Pearson is, just, I feel like, just going to buy increasingly weirder things over time. It was already doing this yeah. before it became yeah, part it's, of their job. And so yeah, I assume your Slack channel is just filled with him posting, like, different things he's finding on obscure websites that are probably stealing his credit card but might send him a strange gadget in the mail as well. Yeah, it's, it was a huge risk starting up the company. Um, <laughs> and it's, like, it's absolutely paid off because you'll be halfway through a conversation and suddenly there's, like, hey, I disassembled my my PS5 controller and now there's some weird Chinese paddles sticking out of the bottom of it. It's <laughs> like, how did you do that? He's like, I don't know. I just I was in some random forum and some guy told me how to do it and now I've done it and it's great. I'm like, cool, man, you should write a blog about that. And he's like, yep, I am doing that. I saw, so, I saw Chris. Uh, I don't know if Chris is going to write about it or not, but I was mesmerized. Uh Somebody, he spotted somebody somewhere had the different um, uh, little robots you can buy that can either like clean up the dust and dirt on your floor. But then some of them, if they're a little more fancy, will also clean the floor. But they come with different cleaning fluids that are like associated with them. And someone had actually taken them and deconstructed which chemicals are in these different companies like cleaning supplies and made an Excel spreadsheet to figure out which is actually the most effective one. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's where he, the internet that's, is that's a bad the, place and it's also wonderful. That's the part of that's the part of the internet that he lives on. And it's like, you know, that <laughs> next to like old nineties hi-fi speakers, next to like random off market Chinese 
like electronic accessories and components. Um, and it all comes together to like make magic. So we're very happy that Chris is blogging all his like weird tech shit, um, somewhere where hopefully people can appreciate and respect it for the weird and wonderful <laughs> content that it is. Well, I, I can attest, uh, the weirder you get, you're, People seem to like that stuff. It's worked out so well for for us over here at Remap. So I'm <laughs> I'm hoping that's going to be repeated over at Aftermath as well, which people can go to aftermath.site um, in order to support uh, what's what's going on over there. Uh, they got a couple different options, just like we do. Different levels of access, monthly, yearly, but go check it out. Um, uh, you can certainly read some stuff for free before the block comes up, and you got to support what they're up to. But it's it's worth every penny, and we we wish all y'all the the best of luck and making that work for the for however long you know you choose to do it as opposed to however long until someone says you're not allowed to do it anymore which is a which is a good place to be it is yeah thanks guy you guys were a huge help like as a sounding boards and stuff for, for getting it set up as well so i want to like thank you guys for your help as well so yeah absolutely um well that's a year from now rather than being <laughs> led away in cops <laughs> Uh, explaining that Rob Zachney of Remap said bad, this up bad. He said, no, no, you don't need to worry. You don't need to worry about that form. <laughs> What's the worst the IRS could do? <laughs> We're going to find out in 12 months. <laughs> that's, the, that's the joy. You can worry about it later. Um, uh, and I'm sure it's not more complicated with people in different countries, right? Like, no, it's got to make no, it like, simpler. Yeah, uh, no. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Australia's tax system is identical to the United States. No problems whatsoever. <laughs> ah, well, uh, Luke, thank you for joining us. We will have to have – I think I think what we've concluded here is that when when ba- when basketball actually matters in a couple of months, I think we're going to have to have you come back through again so we can talk about how the season has solidified and we can talk uh, about uh, <laughs> how it's actually how actual actual basketball yeah. yes 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 we'll we'll get there we'll get there so uh thanks to everyone for for listening uh thanks to everyone who supports what we do over at remapradio.com and who knows when you listen to this maybe we'll have done a stream where we contact a domain broker i heard you pause on remap.com yeah, I, know, I know i know it's like Pat- <laughs> <laughs> look how much could it be rob we're about to find out we're going to pay someone 60 to 70 dollars depending on the different services you look at and they're going to contact somebody at a different website and see can we purchase remap.com like what's what's that going for these days uh it's in luke remap.com is in the the uh the hands of basically a like a corporate domain squatter uh website uh where you yeah, can we, we didn't we didn't call it we didn't call ours dot site for nothing like the dot <laughs> yeah com, no but yeah the, yes the, yeah, the, dot, uh, the dot com marketplace was like we we saw the brokers and we were like i'm not even gonna bother let's just pick something else it's a website we'll do dot site it's fine and we we'll so we don't need it we're good to go could, but like yeah can i pay 60 bucks to find out like what? Like what are we talk? What are we talking here? You know, like how about uh, a little paid in exposure? If we talk about your weird broker website, can, can we get a deal on Remap.com? Uh, there's such like black. There's such like spy movie, like Star Wars cantina negotiations as well. It's like I pay you seventy bucks, but then you have like he come. He might come back to you and say tw- it's twenty grand, and you'd be like, oh, I I, that's what I'm expecting. Like, I was never gonna pay twenty grand. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> But I could have gone bet. out to dinner with that 70 bucks. <laughs> so look forward to that and, and much more. Thanks, everyone, for, for listening, sporting. Fuck capitalism. Bear down. <laughs> <laughs>